You're listening to Startups for Good, where we explore high growth and high values ventures. I'm your host, Miles Lassiter, founder and investor. Join us to hear stories of entrepreneurs. Join us to be inspired, to be a founder, or to work for a startup. Join us to be part of a community that believes startups can be a force for good. Welcome to Startups for Good. I'm your host, Miles Lassiter. On today's episode, I speak with Charlie Olson, who is CEO and co-founder of Panda. Pando allows people to join pools to share a portion of their future earnings. We explain it more in the podcast. Pando was founded after Charlie and his co-founder, Eric Lax, graduated from Stanford's Graduate School of Business in 2017. Since inception, Pando has signed hundreds of professional athletes and entrepreneurs into income pools and has raised a series A from top fintech investors. I happen to know that's like Core and Ulu and others. Prior to his time at Stanford, Charlie worked with Bob Grady at Cheyenne Capital, private equity firm based out of Jackson, Wyoming. Concurrently, Charlie worked in search fund investing for Professor David Dodson and was a speechwriter and policy analyst for two governors. Charlie holds two other degrees from Stanford, including a BA in international relations and an MA in US history. Charlie was named to Forbes 30 under 30. During the episode, we talk about the nature of income pooling, the nature of risk and variability, how more and more careers are becoming star driven and the power law, what that means for how people should be approaching uh, their own financial planning, including discussing implications for investing. We also talk about his own founder journey, how he knew he had picked his co-founder, and things he learned along the way. I think you'll really enjoy it, so please stay tuned. Charlie, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for coming on. Thanks, Miles, for having me. Excited. I'm really excited to have this conversation because the product you're working on, I think, is unusual and one that people probably haven't heard of before. <laughs> I've heard that once or twice. Uh, I, th- I think, you know, interesting is good. And, and in our case, I, hopefully interesting is, is a sign of what's to come in the future and how we can help a lot of people. But let's, let's dive in. Awesome. So I promise we wouldn't spend all the time on the product, but since it is different than what people may be used to, I love it if we could start there. Can you describe what Pando does? Sure. And, and, and hopefully we can get into a whole bunch of analogies um, for why I actually think it is not that unusual, but maybe just the way we've packaged it sounds unfamiliar. But basically, we've designed a product that we call income pooling. And the basic tenets of income pooling are, are that we help a group of people come together, folks with similar expected future earnings, who might, for example, have a bunch of volatility attached to those earnings. So perhaps they're professional athletes or entrepreneurs. And we help them contractually agree to contribute a small portion of their future earnings to the shared pool. So you can think about this small group coming together saying, hey, you know, we like what each one of us is all about. And now all of a sudden we have, you know, traded away a small portion of our own upside in exchange for upside in the other folks in the pool. Um, and we can dive into why individuals might want to do that and or some analogies that both historic and kind of present that I actually think are really interesting analogs to, to what we do. Yeah, I think analogies are wonderful. So, you know, I think that one that I use frequently, especially as a startup founder, is, you know, the concept of partnership to a VC feels very familiar 
when when comparing with our model. So you've got you've got a you know let's just say a, a couple of folks who decide that they want to begin investing in the next generation of fantastic companies coming out of Silicon Valley or, or, or wherever. And they say, you know, we're better together than we are separately. So we want to start this together. And we're going to share some portion of the economics. We're going to divvy up the carried interest. And if any one of us finds the next Facebook or the next Google, we're all going to share in the success. And the burden of operating this, this entity is also going to be shared. Interestingly, as a startup founder, we are asked more often than not to take much more you know, akin to an all or nothing bet on our startup, on ourselves. We own 100% of our own upside. We own 100% of our future. And we are in no way kind of you know, afforded the same uh, portfolio theory benefits from you know, being able to, to, I guess, own a basket of similarly risky assets. Wait, but Unless Charlie, if, if you aren't willing to bet on yourself, why shouldn't we? Why should we bet on you? Yeah, exactly. I, I've heard this before too, and 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 I and I've I've often turned that back around and said, well, you know, who your LPs seem to bet on you, Mister Venture Capitalist. Um, no, I I think that that I think that that kind of sentiment is one that is that is popular, which is that I think there is some logical founding behind this idea that, hey, if your back's against the wall and 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 you are desperate that that is going to produce a grittiness and a resolve that, you know, against all odds, you, you will succeed. At the same time, I think that, you know, that's kind of an interesting mentality, especially in, in today's day and age where we're really focused on uh, also on mental health and, and about thinking about kind of like living a, living a complete life that's networked and, and, and aligned with the folks around you. And I think it really, under kind of values, the promise and benefits of being attached to a community and a network that can help you succeed. So the other benefit to Pando and income pooling, besides this financial exchange, right, whether you think about it as providing downside protection, if you're pursuing a risky career, or the ability to share in the upside of, the, of, of a peer group, there is also the very, very real benefit of having now newfound aligned interests with a group of individuals who are motivated to not only care, but to see you succeed. And I am a big believer in things being positive some whenever possible. And I think Charlie Munger made the, had made, has the quote that show me the incentives and I'll show you the outcome. And, you know, I think he was spot on groups that are pursuing something together and who are motivated and aligned in their incentives to achieve together, I think are more likely to produce outstanding results. Are you seeing that already that people who are pooling together are getting higher average results than you would have expected before they pooled? Yeah, so I can talk about this on two different kind of, you know, sides of our business. We work with um, the two main customer groups we work with right now are professional athletes, as well as startup entrepreneurs. So we have a kind of an entrepreneur side of our business and then one where we work with, um, in particular, professional baseball players. On the professional baseball player side, we've been, you know, kind of in that sport for now over three years. So we've seen three seasons worth of data and we've written and built a number of kind of proprietary algorithms that allow us to understand and predict player expected future earnings, as well as the distribution of those, um, of those possible outcomes. 
And that's actually part of the engine that allows us to kind of help these athletes make informed financial decisions and join perhaps one pool as compared with another. The interesting output, though, is that we obviously are able to take a snapshot of what we think a player, or I guess how we think a player will do when we add them to a pool, and we then get to track that over time, right? And as the, as the player kind of evolves in his career, that we get to recheck and say, hey, how is this player you know, doing as compared with what we'd expected? And you know, three years in, we would expect that our players would be doing in some worse than they are doing. And I don't exactly know why. I think in baseball, it's, 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 hard to, it's hard to make the case that all of a sudden, because these players are hyper-motivated to see each other succeed, that you know, they are uh, texting each other swing tips. And, and that's you know, what's producing this positive outcome. I think perhaps it's, you know, it's, it's a sentiment that's come from our athletes, which is the fact that these guys now have a, you know, have a shared text thread and a shared community and are, you know, checking in after games and lifting each other up, supporting each other, ribbing each other, you know, all in good fun, that they've made the game less lonely, that a, even a team sport in this case, like baseball was previously zero sum. If someone on your team did well, it meant you didn't especially in the minor leagues where you're trying to get called up. And so perhaps there's, there's a benefit being accrued as a part of that community orientation. The much more, I would say, interesting kind of side of, of the business from a perspective of being able to affect change within group is with our, our pools of entrepreneurs. And we have pools of, of many different shapes and sizes. So folks who are in specific uh, you know, company stage or sector or business type or specific, you know, uh, I would say, you know, kind of identity group within, you know, founders. And we've seen really some true magic come out of those pools. So, you know, new companies being built when founders, um, you know, who joined a pool met up and decided that they wanted to start something together. Investor introductions made, investments made within pools, new hires introduced, new kind of, you know, vertical lines of businesses opened. So there's been a lot of really interesting examples of value being created within these communities, you know, beyond just being a, maybe some form of shared emotional support group. That's really fascinating because I think most people's minds goes to the free rider problem more than it does these positive effects on the upside. Yeah. And I think that, you know, one of the things that's, you know, that I've thought a lot about in, in, in building Pando is a broader, I think, macro issue of how we as a culture and as a society and an economy, how we identify and place the folks who end up in these power law careers. And, and I, I want to unpack that a little bit. I think that, you know, for many in the United States in particular, but, but this is increasingly becoming global, whether it's in entrepreneurship or, or in professional sports or in entertainment or many other fields where there are kind of these huge outcome potentials, we sort by some form of risk tolerance. And what I mean by that is those careers are risky by their very nature. There's huge upside. That upside is oftentimes kind of coupled with extreme risk, 
right? There's there's a you know there's the old adage of the you know the one in the million startup and and we all know kind of the stats about how many you know high school athletes go on to play in professional sports, et cetera. And I think that we end up promoting the folks or not promoting, but I guess ultimately celebrating the folks who are risk tolerant enough to take the leap into these careers. And that to me seems like a really silly way to sort talent and passion and opportunity. I think that we're leaving way too many dreamers on the sidelines of chasing careers and opportunities that much more closely align with their underlying passion, their skill set, and their underlying characteristics simply because, for example, they don't come from a specific background and can't afford the risk, or they're not temperamentally wired to you know, take that leap at a one in a million odds. But if you gave them even a slight kind of change in their economics, such that they now are doing this within a group with partnership, I think that we are going to unlock a kind of another wave of, of creators, of dreamers, of people choosing careers that are right for them and meaningful and purposeful for them. I think we'll see many successful outcomes accrue from that with benefit to not just you know, that individual and the folks in his or her pool, but ultimately to society at large. So to me, the benefits vastly outweigh whatever the kind of concerns are around the free rider, quote unquote, free rider issue. I would also <laughs> encourage us to think about the math that when you take this leap and you know, with Pando, you still always own the vast majority of your own upside, that your own upside will always be worth more than a small share of someone else's. So the, the free rider issue, it just like, mathematically doesn't, doesn't really check out, but I hear that concern and, I, and I've heard it before. Yeah, I think what you just talked about is really inspiring to me about allowing more people to take on these careers. And by the way, more careers are becoming this kind of power law, star-driven kind of career. And if we're just focused on risk tolerance or ability to take risk, given your family circumstances, or even frankly, risk blindness, like people who are just yeah. uninformed about the risks that they face, like, is that really how we want to do it? And I think there's an inherent variability to the outcomes that you've talked about in some of the dynamics of tech and globalization, maybe driving this to even more extreme. But our beliefs about the type of person that it takes to be successful and the kinds of beliefs that they need to have, I think, are limiting us. If I'm making any sense, our beliefs are self-limiting in the way we think about how people should approach risk. I couldn't agree more. And, and I think one of the really inspiring things of, you know, some of the kind of American ethos and the American dream is our tie to the rags to riches story, right? We want to believe that this is a country where, and, I'm, and I know I'm being American centric here, but, but we, could, we could apply this more broadly. This is a country where opportunity is equally afforded and those who rise, rise meritocratically. And, you know, I think that we would also probably say that, you know, some form of risk tolerance as an attribute is, is probably normally distributed. Even though we idolize the rags to riches story and the people who are able to persevere against all odds and in the face of making a really crazy bet, I think we can do a lot better 
by changing some of the infrastructure to give more folks the ability to step into the batter's box. And, and I think that Pando is a, is a way for us to, you know, rethink about, you know, what I would say is our greatest, is our greatest asset we own, which is our ability to generate future income, right? It's also the only asset for those of us who rely on our income for, for our, for our well being. it's the only asset that's relatively unprotected, unhedged, and unassignable. And the interesting thing is once you accrue wealth, once you turn that, either you're born into it or you, or you turn your income and you, you know, you're a, you're a star in whatever you do, and that income turns to capital. Well, now all of a sudden you use all of the same principles that Pando is built on to both protect your downside and to accrue upside investment returns. So you use portfolio theory, you think through kind of how to own a diversified basket of assets. And I think it's really unusual that we force folks who are you know, not born with capital, but instead are born with an ability to earn income into a position where only those who are the most, in, I guess, for lack of a better word, fearless and immune to risk to be the ones who enter the arena, right? Where kind of the biggest upside sits. That, that seems to be me, again, to be a real misallocation of, of talent and of people within a broader economic system. Well, let's take what you've said there and, and expand on it because this is something I'm, I'm interested in. You're talking about the future earning potential as being the largest asset for many people, you know, particularly young people but there's no way to capitalize or otherwise tap into it. There's no way to diversify it, hedge it, as you said. What are the other implications and what are the things beyond what you're doing that ripple from this if you really take that idea seriously? Well, I think that there's, you know, there's a kind of myriad different pathways we could go here. And, I, you know, I just think at, it, at its core, the, this idea of taking our future income and our potential and allowing that to be something that we can play with, right? And, and create alignment around is going to accrue significant benefit again to the individual and to broader society. So I think there's some underlying kind of like market foundational elements that you need to, that you need to create. You know, one of which would be you, you want to create I'm, I'm thinking of analogy like the you know 30-year mortgage when that was when that was first introduced a 30-year mortgage would have been really scary uh, a 30-year mortgage today is not scary at all it, you know even though it's a long contract and the consequences are serious and collateralize your house it, 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 you you know that there's liquidity there's a marketplace there's um, clarity of how you can trade swap hedge uh, and better control that asset what we need to build is a more robust kind of marketplace and foundation around this asset, that being future earnings, such that this can function more properly. Pando cannot be the only player here. I think we, we've oriented around this thesis that community-based income pooling is a really smart way to think about managing the risk of your future income. 
but I think that there's a whole host of other products and services and companies that should be built in this infrastructure to, you know, layer on top of this thesis that we have a asset here that is untapped, that if tapped can be massively accretive to, to our economic system. Yeah. I mean, one example that I've run across is life cycle investing the book by Barry Nailbuff and one of his colleagues at Yale arguing that you should diversify across time. You should make more investments when you're young, more money, uh, more money should be invested than you actually have leverage two to one. If the stock market is reasonably priced and it's, it flows from the same kind of thinking. Is, is that something that you think is in line with uh, your recommendation? Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. I think that's, I think that's super interesting. And, and I think that there's also a, you know, there's also broader implications across kind of a, you know, national footprint of how we think through a social safety net, right? And how do we want to position folks at a starting line, such that we can create opportunity for all, and such that, you know, as a, as a society, we, we do increasingly become meritocratic. But I think that that's a, a brilliant idea in a, in, a, in a book that I'm going to read. Awesome. Do you only have natural people involved in Pando? What do you mean by natural people? Like, are there entities that can invest uh, and somehow interact with the pool? Understood. Understood. Yes. People? Understood. So the way, we've, the way we've kind of built this product is originally focused on the individuals, on, on natural people. So we, so we help, you know, again, entrepreneurs and baseball players come together find and build a pool. And the, the, some of the infrastructure that I was just kind of highlighting is where we're going to go next. So what I want to you know, now be able to create is the optionality and the liquidity for the folks who are in pools. And I expect that in opening that up, that I, I think that both natural people and entities should consider whether or not, you know, owning a portion, for example, of a, a pool distributions for a certain subset of individuals um, is something that they would be interested in. And I think that this begins to help us round out this, you know, this ecosystem and this, and this marketplace to provide more clarity of pricing, more liquidity, and more, and more optionality to bring professional investors into the fold. And again, I do want to just kind of reiterate where this gets really interesting is, is you know, imagine, for example, a, a, a mentor, a, a great investor, a great operator who is really talented in uh, Web3 investing. And they look at Pando and we've got a, you know, a Web3 founders pool. And they say, wow, this is not only a great investment and a really interesting group of individuals that I would, that I admire and I kind of like what they're building, but in buying a share of their, of, of this pool's, you know, future distributions, I'm helping, I'm helping these founders when they need it most. And I'm aligning my interest as I would, if I made a series of angel investments towards their success from the kind of founder side of things, it's really intriguing because you not only now have, you know, near-term value that comes in the form of of creating liquidity from an asset that was pure, you know, previously pre totally illiquid. But in addition, you are aligning with an individual that can help accelerate the pace of change, that can help improve the odds of success. Yeah, you're selling equity in yourself, essentially. And I think that's really exciting. I also wonder what what kind of consumer protections are needed for that. 
I think that uh, you know over time this is absolutely an ecosystem that that needs really thoughtful consumer protections. Uh, for example, you wouldn't want folks you know trading away the majority or all of their future earnings, right? That would create, I think, a real misalignment of incentives. Right now at Pando, we have a, a series of internal rules that we hold ourselves and our clients to, such as we do not allow anyone to you know, trade away more than 15% of their own upside. One thing I also want to kind of just like emphasize here with, with Pando in particular, and this is just relevant for how our product works, but every single pool has a hurdle, has some concept of a hurdle, which is we do not take a portion of all future earnings. It's a portion of future earnings or a person's agreeing to contribute a portion of future earnings above a hurdle. Uh, so for professional athletes, for professional baseball players, that hurdle only kicks in after they've spent three years in Major League Baseball. For entrepreneurs, that hurdle is sometimes as high as $1 million in a given year. So they need to have a really kind of outsized financial event within a given year to ever make a contribution. Uh, so when I'm talking about upside, I really am talking about a portion of upside here too. I think consumer protection will be really important. I think it will be really important to think really kind of conscientiously about how, how we want to build pools, right? Who, who, who do we want to emphasize and kind of you know, nudge together as we, as we go through the pool formation process? You know, right now, this is obviously a, a blossoming industry and, and one that we're, continued, uh, we're excited to continue to shape. Awesome. Don't just listen, get engaged. You've heard me talking about the Startups for Good Giving Circle, and maybe you're wondering how does it work? Go to startupsforgood.com and click on Giving Circle. You'll be able to sign up as a member and choose to make a reoccurring donation. Let's say $20 a month or whatever you can afford. We will focus on newer or startup tech nonprofits to provide the initial angel funding to get them off the ground. We will vote on a nonprofit recipient of our grant approximately quarterly. All donations are US tax deductible. So go to startupsforgood.com and click on Giving Circle. Would you ever consider bundling disability insurance with the product? Yeah, I think that's really interesting. And, you know, as we kind of dove into the professional sports ecosystem, you know, disability insurance was was definitely something that we kind of looked at as, as potentially a competitor. I will say that what I found from, you know, kind of studying the disability insurance industry was not particularly, was not particularly heartwarming. It was a, seemed to be a system where, Athletes, in this case, were paying really significant premiums and were extraordinarily rarely having the uh, or ever seeing any of the benefits. And so I think that one of the things that I saw with that ecosystem is it is really, really critical to have a like fantastic kind of legal document that is really clear on what is going to be the benefit and under what specific circumstances. And that more often than not, they were written vaguely enough such that the insurer didn't end up paying. I think the disability insurance coupled with something like Pando really makes a lot of sense. It really, you know, and I think done, you know, think about kind of like pricing power done at the pool level, you've significantly reduced the volatility at the pool level because you've grouped 
a bunch of volatile individuals together. So I think there's from disability insurance to finding creative ways to help this group who now have kind of de-risked themselves as borrowers to help with home equity loans or student debt refi. I think there's a whole host of other kind of more traditional financial products and services that when layered on top of an ecosystem where you've built these great communities that are closely knit with now de-risked individuals who also have you know, some, some level of, of reputational alignment that there's, you know, there's really cool kind of outputs that can, can flow from this. Now, taking a step back and thinking about your own entrepreneurial journey and how it may have been risky and have some variability to it, I'd be curious, like, where have been the challenges in building this business? I think that one of the things that, you know, Eric and I felt, and Eric's my co-founder, he and I met at, at Stanford Business School. He's the smartest person I've ever met. He was getting a degree in computational mathematical engineering while we met in an MBA class. And it was his research with Ed Lazier, recently passed, unfortunately, that led to, to some of these insights that, that ultimately resulted in Pando. Well, you know, one of the things that we reflected on is that we were both extraordinarily fortunate in how we were raised, in the families that we have, and the jobs that we had prior to coming to Stanford Business School, and that piece of paper, right? And so for us, we recognized that this was, in, in many ways, an unfair advantage that we had. We had a total kind of ability to be risk-seeking in part because we knew that, you know, even with failure, we would be okay. And I think that that's, I think that that's probably something that a bunch of founders and folks can identify with. And what we were trying to create, and this is in part in coming out of, we both have a few different degrees from Stanford, but one of the things we were trying to create is an ecosystem and a product that could help unleash the talent of all the folks that we've met at Stanford who wanted to do something entrepreneurial, who wanted to build something, but ultimately didn't because they didn't feel comfortable seizing the moment, taking the risk, whatever. And I think the hardest thing about building this company has been fighting against, not fighting against, but, but leaning into trying to be curious and then overcoming some natural behavioral headwinds. So, you know, the first of which was, and all founders need some form of reality distortion field ability. And, and ours is that we see a different future where human beings are not as concerned about being perceived as less than because they haven't, because they don't own 100% of their own upside. And that, that was really the first concern that we faced that we have had to continue to fight against, right? There's a group of folks who say exactly what maybe you said earlier, which is, hey, is this a bet against yourself? And, and I would argue that it's really a bet on yourself. It, it's, it's, a, it's a liberating bet to allow you kind of greater odds of success in whatever you're doing if you choose to use Pando in a way that more aligns with clearly a, like a set of you know, risk preferences that you know, syncs up with your career. And, you know, that's been hard, right? No, no doubt about it. It feels like we're fighting against an element of human nature. And then one other element that to me is, you know, and to many folks that I talk to about Pando is logical, but behaviorally challenging 
is that loss aversion is very real. And Pando is a product where objectively there is a loser in every pool. Now that like quote unquote loser is the person that earns the outsized kind of return and has agreed to share a small portion of that outside return back into the pool. And they agree to do that before they know who's going to be the winner. But it is the fear of the kind of like theoretically kind of unknown, you know, loss in the future that I think really is hard to overcome, even when you kind of stand up this reality of, well, the vast majority of folks that, you know, join Pando will be financial beneficiaries by definition. And, you know, if we are to believe that groups are stronger together than they are separately and aligned incentives and the power of community and network are real, then perhaps every single person that joins a Pando pool is better off for having done it. But nevertheless, that kind of like underlying human sentiment of, of, of fear of, you know, loss, even in the case where you're a billionaire is very real. And it's not one that folks talk about. And so it, that's been, that has, you know, been a struggle and we've had to work through kind of, you know, different strategic and tactical, you know, sales and product um, tweaks to try to continue to work on and combat those two human elements. Um, and that, that continues to be a challenge because I, I believe that this is a, this is a product that can help, you know, so many and, and, and we're, we, we're, we're helping hundreds of hundreds and hundreds of baseball players and, and entrepreneurs, but uh, I think we can be doing a heck of a lot more. And I've, and I've continually been trying to fight and find ways to, to overcome those, I would say those two psychological and behavioral biases. What that sounds like to me is building a new market. That's what it feels like, right? And, and I think that one of the things that we are constantly looking at is, you know, the best way to build a new market is to be in the market, right? It's like, it's to build the market to persist and to grow over time that the behavior is normalized over time. And now word of mouth, uh, you know, is, is, is working. And all of a sudden it feels less strange because you know people who are doing it. At the same time, again, time is of the essence, help is of the essence. If we believe that we can improve lives today, we're gonna look for every kind of hack and cut, you know, shortcut that we can, that we can to unlock, unlock growth faster and faster. Right. Now you said you decided to jump in on your own entrepreneurial journey when you met the smartest person you ever had. Was there anything else that helped you know that you'd met your co-founder? Oh, that's a that's that's a very good question. And and I and because we work with so many founders, I have a lot of conversations about, you know, early co-founder dynamics, choosing the right partner, et cetera. He and I, you know, very much did the founder dating kind of pathway. I, I came to business school from with a background in, in private equity investing, but I was interested in exploring operating. I didn't think I was the creative type that was going to be able to take a idea from zero to one. And I, and I think that was a, a limiting belief, but you know, it informed kind of how I thought about what I was doing in my two years at school. And and one of the other things I admittedly felt guilty about was I'd spent a lot of time at Stanford and, and, and I'd actually never tried to start anything. And I, and I kind of felt like, I kind of felt like an outsider, right? It felt like that was part of what you're supposed to do. And when I met Eric, originally we, we sat down for a coffee chat and I just, we had a lovely conversation, really fun and interesting. And he told me about 
you know, some sports betting algorithms that he had written. He told me about two different startups that he'd started in the past. He told me about five different ideas that he was kind of working on. And one coffee date became two, which became two a week and then, you know, two a day. We decided that we wanted to look at starting a business together. We were very fortunate to have been in school where we had kind of resources at our disposal, where we took a different idea, not, not, not Pando, not income pooling through Lean Launchpad, which is a, which is a course that, you know, over the course of 10 weeks, you try to stand up a company. And through that process, we were able to stress test in, in, in a very real way, see how we work together, how we think, how we, how we disagree, what happens when we disagree. And we realized that while the idea was imperfect and not what we wanted to work on, precisely because we realized that every day, all day, we were talking about income pooling while we were building this other company, the two of us really worked. And then we then went from there, built a dispute resolution checklist, which includes seven parts. We have yet to get past three. I'll share, I'll, I'll tell you what three is. Three is he and I slink off, find a quiet place. You know, oftentimes it's, you know, it's, it's a bar. We'll split up, you know, we'll split up a pitcher of beer and see if we can work out whatever we're disagreeing over. And, you know, we, we stress tested a lot of the kind of like, you know, big, you know, founder pitfalls that we knew were coming prior to starting. And, and I was lucky in that I didn't have to go, you know, to keep the dating analogy going. I didn't have to, I didn't have to, you know, date multiple individuals here. I was lucky that, you know, the first one was the right one, but we did a lot of the work. I mean, it was six months of work before we kind of inked the deal together and decided to leap in. So I don't know if that can be exactly replicated. It's almost as if you tried to start a company together to learn that you wanted to start a company, but a different one that you couldn't stop talking about. I love, I love thinking of that. And I'm so curious about your seven points. Like what's number seven? <laughs> I, I think seven, seven is just is hang it up. No, I, I think so. It, it does. It does escalate. I mean, seven is seven is a formal process, right? Which is we go to the board with a significant strategy disagreement and have, have the board, not even an independent moderator, have the board, you know, adjudicate the disagreement. Right now, we also have kind of silos of uh, silos of expertise and silos of control within Pando, where we defer to the other on specific decisions. And so, you know, I think that compound uh, combined with a you know deep mutual respect and this checklist that scales, but scales in, in an appropriate way in in situations where we disagree, has really kept us out of hot water and has given us an infrastructure to not only make decisions but to come out the, you know, the other side of those decisions in a, in a thoughtful and mutually beneficial place. And I, and I will just say startups are hard and, and anyone that, you know, tells you otherwise is lying. There's, there's ups and downs and in-betweens. Your vision is never exactly what happens. And, you know, one of the things that just continues to, you know, I think go undervalued is the massive, massive kind of need for emotional support and true partnership through that journey. And you publicly can call out Eric here. He's been, he's been the best. It's, it's been, it's been a, it's been a wonderful honor, honor to work with him over these past four years. I'm so glad to hear that. It is certainly something you should publish if you haven't already. I haven't seen this seven point list. I will share one of the things that I jokingly had with co-founders of one of my business says, is that we said, if things ever got uh, into a real dispute, then we would 
make sure to go on vacation together. So it's a lot more expensive and inconvenient than you're getting a pitcher of beer. But the idea was we had to change the situation, get some time and space and, and talk to each other about it. Well, you know what? In fairness, point four was a slightly ramped up version of the pitcher of beer, which is, which is an overnight hike. So, so we are actually pointed in the same direction. It, it, it was going to go from a pint, a pint of beer. And if that didn't get the job done, it's an overnight, you know, hike with, with him and I camping. And, and we also haven't needed to do that out of, uh, out of disagreement. We've done it. We just, we haven't been in a fight. Wow. That, that's great to hear. Now, as you've built the team, like many startup founders, you, you started with an office and then you've been forced by circumstances into remote. I'm curious how you intend to navigate from here. Yeah, I think that this is a super interesting period of time, obviously. And startups have a unique advantage, I think, in being able to do two things, or I guess hold two truths at once. One, we do not, the world does not look to Pando to set new working standards or working policy. So we can sit back, watch, and see what works and allow, and allow others to you know, be the tip of the spear, as it were, in deciding you know, who comes back and when and how do we think about that and what are the policies and what are the safety precautions, et cetera. At the same time, we are also afforded the ability to be incredibly intentional, given that we are a small team, uh, a team that does not have to be together to be able to create our version of a future work environment that we want to see today. And we can, we, we, you know, we can think outside the box again, because folks aren't watching. What I am moving us towards is a, I think a form of hybrid is here to stay. I think that there are just, you know, clearly way too many benefits to being able to hire globally to support a remote uh, work environment. But also at the same time, and this is, this is really kind of an undercurrent of our business generally, the power of serendipity, the power of community, the power of interpersonal time is, is without question to me. So our version of the hybrid, I'm calling a batched hybrid, is one where we are remote, but we spend time each, uh, each quarter, a week at a time with the, with the entire team. And as, as we grow, I imagine that will continue to kind of like evolve such that it's business unit with business unit. And maybe just once per year, the entire team gets together, but at least for a full contiguous week, a quarter, we are going to put everyone, you know, that needs to be together, together in a space and, and Pando's going to, Pando's going to pay for that. And I think that that version uh, accrues a lot of the benefits of time spent together. And at the same time, I actually do question the, the efficacy and the productivity to a, for example, three-day in office, two-day not in office every single week system. I, I, I just think that human beings and, and the way we're motivated and structured, I, I, I do question whether or not we get the most out of ourselves and our teams with that type of uh, you know, incongruent scheduling. And, and I, and I do honestly wonder whether or not those two days at home become the, the two days where we prioritize a whole bunch of other things that aren't work-related. 
So you're saying either five days from home or five days from the office? Yeah, it, 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 that's that's how we're going to set it up. Now, I, I will say that like there's also this this element, which is I have we have an office in a, a kind of a co-working space in San Francisco that's open to anyone in the Bay Area that wants to come in and be in an office. If they want that experience, that's there and available. At the same time, I think it's and we have and we have an you know an office policy for or I guess it, it's a hot desk policy for anyone that's remote. If they would work better not in their house, we we want to of course support them in that. I just think as a as a company, the real important thing for us to do is to make sure we do find kind of t- contiguous time to get everyone together, even in a in a time and space where we are willing to hire the very best talent from anywhere around the world. Gotcha. I'm curious what you wish you would have known earlier as a founder. It's probably about a thousand lessons. Um, I think one that one that comes to mind for me, and this is this is in the spirit of the spirit of vulnerability, is I didn't, you know, I'd never been a founder before. And of course, we're all in our in our own space of kind of self-exploration and and having an executive coach has been extraordinarily valuable for me in helping me learn about myself and how to be a much more effective leader, manager, and teammate. Um, but one thing that I had not kind of understood about myself was that, you know, when I felt that something was, you know, my baby, like, like a startup, uh, that I would want to have control over everything. But I also wouldn't want people to feel, my teammates, my colleagues, to feel anxiety or uncertainty around the journey. So I was going to try to provide by force, by I guess like force of output, force of just work output and emotional output. I was going to try to provide an environment that both was inclusive and enjoyable and hard charging where, you know, we were being productive, but, you know, Charlie knew all things that were going on. And at the same time, there was never going to be a doubt about where we were going. There was never going to be, there would never be moments of uncertainty and lack of clarity or, or anxiety around the, the state of Panda. And that was not a healthy place to be, nor, and it led to a, I think actually a really, you know, unproductive ultimately unproductive kind of hierarchical system within Pando where I wasn't allowing my teammates to fully feel the, the experience of being in an, an early stage journey. And I use that word journey kind of intentionally here, which is Pando is chasing after something big. It's, it's new. It's exciting. It, it, it is not without, right? Like as you kind of highlighted to start, questions that can be asked. And I think that I set the conditions that were not ultimately helpful for my individual, my individual teammates to grow as fast as they could have experienced the, the ups and downs as fully as they, as they should, given that they, you know, actively chose to pursue a, a career in, in an early stage venture where risk is a part of the, a part of the exchange. And it didn't create a healthy kind of situation for me where I, I, you know, if, if we all have a, have a cup, I, I allowed mine to overflow in taking on and trying to, in trying to take on too much of the emotional burden for others. 
And so, you know, I guess this is like, this has, you know, become a, a long-winded answer. I'm sorry for that. But I think the biggest thing that I wish I had known, obviously, was how important it is to spend time understanding how we show up as individuals, spend the time and the resources to find a great supporting cast, whether that's an executive coach, a therapist, et cetera, lean into that. And the output, especially for you know, a founder and the leverage that a, that a change from that individual can make on the rest of the organization can be truly massive. And so, you know, ultimately I was a significantly worse leader when I started Pando, I, I think than I am now. And a huge part of that was a, a limiting set of, of, of beliefs and a, a desire, I think, to do something that was, that was engineered to make people feel good, but ultimately was, was, was counterproductive and limited our ability to go execute and for me to provide a, a great working environment and career development kind of uh, pathway for all of my teammates. Know yourself, don't hog all the challenge or uncertainty for yourself and bring other it's, people along. Is that what it's a saying? team sport. Yeah. It's a team sport in every way, right? It's a team sport when times are good. It's a team sport when you're trying to overcome a challenge. And I think that a, a CEO's job is, is to be some of the ballast, not allow the team to get too high, not allow the team to get too low. That's important to remember too. But as you said, you can't hog you can't hog any part of the experience, right? That's not what it's, that's not what it's about. It should be shared. If we're believers of this, this adage that we're stronger together than we are alone, then, you know, that needs to be true of, of experience, of emotion, of circumstance. And, and that's been, that's been a, a, a truly a powerful learning for me. I think that's a great place to wrap up. Where can people follow up with you or the company online? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at I'm Charlie Olson. You'll see me tweet periodically about all things baseball, founder, Pando, and any anything in between. And you can find Pando at www.pandopooling.com. And we'd love to love to hear from anyone. I imagine a lot of your listeners would be great additions to uh, to a number of the pools that we currently have. So please don't don't hesitate to reach out. Thanks so much for coming on. Thanks, Miles. If you liked what you heard today, be sure to subscribe using your favorite podcast player. And please give us a rating and review. Reviews really do help others find us. You can follow us on Twitter and you can follow me on LinkedIn. If you are inspired today and want to join our giving circle, please do so on our website, startupsforgood.com. Thank you.